Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Come see the Boutique on Central in downtown Laurel for the best deals in women's fine clothing. Let us complete your one-of-a-kind look at the Boutique on Central at 531 Central Avenue in downtown Laurel. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday Eve. Yes, it is. Beautiful day. We start out with a bit of sad and disturbing news out of Mississippi State University. The death of freshman offensive lineman Sam Westmoreland. Wow. What a shock. What a tragedy. And Rhino, I haven't seen a whole lot of details. What is thought to be the final cause of death? You're shaking your head. You haven't either, right? Uh, I mean, you hate to speculate on something like this, but there has been an outpouring from his teammates about mental health. Yeah and reaching out if you need someone to talk to. So you can take from that what you wish. Mississippi State uh, quarterback, his teammate, Will Rogers, tweeted, Rest in peace, Sam. It's okay to not be okay, and we can always do more no matter what is going on. Hail State forever, brother. Till we meet again, 78, heart, and hashtag Hail State. That seems to suggest maybe that Will... And perhaps, as you said, the other teammates were aware, but he was 18 years old, right? Going to be 19 tomorrow, I believe. Okay. And a native of, of Tupelo. Uh, attended Tupelo High School. Man, it's just so tragic. You hate to see it. So, two of Mississippi's major universities experienced tragedies in less than a week. The other, of course, uh, at Ole Miss on Saturday, I believe, when a student was was run over. I believe uh, he and his girlfriend, right? His girlfriend, I think, is recovering, but he passed away, a Madison native. So very, very sad news in the state of Mississippi on Mississippi's college campuses. And our thoughts and prayers go out to the families and the friends of both of these youngsters. So sad. Certainly should not leave this earth at such a a young age for sure. So Coach Mike Leach, uh, he also had an interesting uh, and very thoughtful and appropriate statement as well. The Mississippi State Athletics family is heartbroken 
by the sudden death of Sam Westmoreland, a freshman student-athlete with our football program. Sam was a beloved son, brother, and teammate, and tremendous young man with a limitless future. He will always, always be remembered and deeply missed by everyone who knew and loved him. The entire MSU family mourns as our thoughts and prayers go out to the Westmoreland family. So that's signed by Mike Leach, the head football coach. Wow. We've got uh, coming up on the program today at 11.05, Rodney Hall, the chair of the Mississippi GOP Outreach Committee. I believe this is a, a new committee. And GOP Chairman Frank Bordeaux informed us of this appointment, this hire, into the Mississippi GOP. So looking forward to that conversation, their job essentially of this outreach committee and the chair Rodney Hall here is to broaden the GOP in the state. And then at 1205, you've seen the river. Jeez, pretty low. Paul Hollis, commissioner of the Mississippi Levy Board, joins us. He'll give us uh, the scoop there on what's going on with the river and how that's affecting farmers, obviously shipping, and other uses other functionality of the river, and it's just low. I think everybody's by now probably seen the photos of uh, boats, a, a river boat, it, uh, one of those, an old-style river boat. It's just looks like it's sitting on the mud. I mean, not even drawing water. Uh, a bit unprecedented. Of course, I'm sure we're going to hear from the climate change zealots Right? Everything can be attributed to either climate change or racism. Pretty much. I'm sure we'll hear that, but just a bit of reading I did on this subject, this has happened before to this river, right? This isn't the first time. Now, certainly we're experiencing a bit of a drought in the areas where tributaries and other bodies of water feed the Mississippi River. So it's understandable, but this ain't the first time this happened. So, but, you know, they'll be all over it, no doubt about that. And, geez, we'll see where the responses are. We're what, less than uh, 18, 19 days now from the midterms? Just Getting close. Two weeks from this coming Tuesday, three weeks from this past Tuesday, according to my calculations. That sound right to you? I got that right? Mm, let me double check. Uh, I think that's right. So take a look there. But that's coming up, and the races and the rhetoric is being dialed up, shall we say. It's uh, one of the races I'm paying a little attention to that's really fascinating is out there in the state of Washington the, for the U.S. Senate. Patty Murray. You ever seen her smile? She just, I don't think her bone structure will allow her to create a smile. She's like Debbie Downer from the old Saturday Night Live. <laughs> that's who she reminds me of. Patty Downer. <laughs> well, she is, uh, of course, running for re-election. I believe she's been there since 84. Does that sound right? That's, that's, the, that's what comes to mind. 84. 
Um, I'm talking 1984, by the way, not 1884, just in case you're wondering. She's receiving quite the challenge from Tiffany Smiley on the Republican side. Yeah, I think she's been there. What do you see? 84? Long time. Been serving in government. She's a government animal. Served in the local and county level out there in the state of Washington. You wouldn't think there would be this many Patty Murrays. Yeah, uh, true. Uh, first elected in 92. 92. Okay, I missed it a couple of cycles. My apologies. She was in the Washington State Senate from 88 to 92. Okay, and then she went to Washington. Patty goes to D.C., right? Uh, close. Long time. 30 years. 30 in the U.S. Senate. She wins. That would be another six-year term. It's crazy. Yet she still lists her occupation as teacher. Oh, okay. Teacher. Oh, my gosh. Well, <laughs> she is, uh, she's got quite the challenge. I think, I think she's up by, like, five points. And Tiffany Smiley tweeted, No amount of TV ads can change Patty Murray's 35-year record of raising middle-class taxes. She's never met a tax hike she didn't like. Property tax hikes, increased taxes on Social Security, her ads would be laughable if her votes didn't hurt Washington families and businesses. So it's kind of crazy, but the uh, <laughs> they're freaking out about this attack. The left is uh, they refer to that as attack. It's 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 just false. So I I looked at this tweet, Rhino, and there's this CPA that uh, David Green, that I think resides in the state of Washington, he says, huh, I'm a tax CPA, and I can tell you that Ronald Reagan was the first president to tax Social Security benefits back in 84. And that law passed Congress on a hugely bipartisan basis. That is absolutely true. But, however, when did you tell me she went to Washington? 92, right? 92. In 93... So what he's trying to say there in response to the candidate, Tiffany Smiley, you got that wrong. No, it wasn't, it wasn't Patty Murray that voted for those tax, tax increases on Social Security. That happened under Reagan in 84. It is absolutely true that Social Security benefits were not taxed until 84. That's because the Social Security program was about to go under. And the, the taxation of the benefits was plowed back into the program. Okay? Another tax hike occurred in 1993. When did you tell me she went? 92. That means she was there, right? She voted for it as part of the omnibus budget bill. So look, Mr. CPA, I'm questioning your damn credentials. You didn't get the point. The point was she voted for tax increases on Social Security benefits. That's what Miss Smiley said. Got to get to the truth. Let's debate the truth. We're coming back with more here. Stay with us from the Element Well Studios. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. Right. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. 
Super Talk Mississippi, live from the Element Well Studios. We thank you so much for joining us. The ceasefire text line, if you'd like to join the conversation, is 601-879-4395. I know I beat this horse to death, but i got to bring it up again. When we first started doing the show, I just made the statement, the, the observation that it's really difficult to coalesce around any policy matters, talking about the left and the right, and I think the desire among most Americans that if the government could just get together, work together, and do stuff to make things better. And I just opine that we can't even agree on how many genders there are. And then everything kind of cascades out from that. So now we know, and we've exposed it somewhat on this program, but this radical gender ideology, folks, is being foisted on children in this country. It's being sanctioned, condoned, normalized, thrust into mainstream society. It's sick, is what it is. So, you recall, Rhino, a few months ago, I think it was back in August, when we shared the story, and I think even, I think we even played the video, about one of these really prestigious Episcopal schools in the New York area. And they had a drag queen show in the church. And this beautiful, stately, old Episcopal church that I believe is attached to the school. And though the students were not required to attend, uh, you know that they interviewed a few that said, we just felt like if we didn't, it would reflect poorly on us and might even affect our grades. So they all went, and we played the video, and this drag queen is going up and down the aisles in a church with the attendees in the church pews, like where you go to church to worship the Lord. So there's just more of this examples of this happening in this country, and one most recently occurred just a few days ago in Plano, Texas. Plano, Texas. And it was advertised as a brunch at this particular venue in Plano. And families with their children were invited. <sighs> this is crazy. I think it's the Garden of Eden Drag Brunch is what they're calling it. And so there's video going around. Someone 
was there. I just can't wrap my head around somebody that wants to go have Eggs Benedict with a dude wearing awful makeup, dressed as a woman, shakes his you-know-what in front of your face. It's bizarre. Drag brunch is the weirdest thing to come out of the left, and that's saying something because they are full of weirdos, nuts, and flicks. I agree. One of the attendees was Sarah Gonzalez of The Blaze, and she recorded it. So this drag queen, if you look at the video, is gyrating in an effort to raise money, of course. That's, that's kind of the custom, the gyrations... Draw money out of the pocket. Now, there are children you can see clearly in the video that are watching with some degree of amazement on their faces. I don't think they've ever seen this. But in this particular performance, this drag queen says the P word 83 times. It was counted on the video. You're talking about the P-word that's also another name for a cat? Correct. That I'm pretty sure we can't say here on the air without... I don't think it's some... against the FCC, but yeah, we probably get a lot of fun. Well, I'm calls. not saying it. And I know you won't either. But this fool performs... Yeah, the restaurant's called Ebb and Flow. And she's singing some song... I didn't even know about this. It was a 2011 hit song that doesn't have a single line that does not include the P-word. That's what she's singing and gyrating and dressed and behaving and dancing inappropriately for children. Now, I'm pretty sure if you showed up with a toddler at a strip club, adult strip club, right, you'd be arrested. What the hell's the difference? Why is this condoned and allowed? How, is, how does this not rise to the same level of whatever the laws are against that? Adults, I don't care. Knock yourself out. Do all that crap. Kids, uh-uh. I'm drawing the line. And I start thinking about what is the purpose here? What is the purpose and the best I can think of is it's to confuse the kids. And confusion, I think, breeds all kinds of, of crazy behavior and reaction to the point where they, they feel like they need these leftists sort of to protect them. Now, well, when victimhood is your currency. Uh, true. Very true. So... I, I guess, how does this tie into the statement, the, the observation, the opinion that we can't agree on how many genders there are? I tell you, we can't agree anymore on what's moral. Right? So this is just, this is linked to that. This is a, an offshoot of that same issue. We don't know how many genders there are. In fact, if you, if you declare, no, there's only two, my gosh, the world blows up on you, right? So now... It's drag queens with school children. That's, that's deemed... Which, again, I ask, where are the feminists? Why are feminists and women okay with being reduced to awful makeup, bad fashion, and gyrations? It's unbelievable. I mean, it, it truly is what's going on here. Is it because they enjoy drinking wine and, and watching RuPaul's drag show? You got me.
All right, so the other thing that's going on, and we got some sound I think we can play for you, is that there's a school in California, a school district. Okay, so they're going to have a, a drag queen show, and they promote it, and they produce flyers, and the flyers include the statement, it's family-friendly, family-friendly. You see what I mean? So we, don't, we can't... We can't agree on what's moral. That's <laughs> like those words are magic. Right. It's family friendly. And they're promoting this. They're going to have a big drag queen night and they're inviting the parents with to bring their kids and come see this drag queen show and that's family friendly. So the parents see this. It's it is distributed amongst the parental community of the school district, and they freak out, and they show up at the school board, and this one lady, if we got time, she gives them the business. I want to know what it is uh, that makes a drag show family friendly, because if you follow it to its logical conclusion, you can slap family-friendly titles on anything. You can have family-friendly gentlemen's clubs, family-friendly strip shows, family-friendly Fifty Shades of Grey read-alouds. Will you appro approve my flyer if I want to host in all the sex secrets of the Kama Sutra for kids and families, if it's family-friendly? That's my question. Wow. Uh, what is it about a grown man, and I honestly, sincerely, as a woman, mean this. What is it about a grown man costumed in a sparkly bra with augmented boobs busting out a leather miniskirt barely covering his twerking ass with tuck tape on his front while spreading his fish netted legs as he rides on the ground grinding his groin next to a minor family friendly you owe us an answer and you know you don't get to hide by just taking something down off peach tree and calling it a day you owe an explanation and an apology that has a massive problem with child porn, with sex trafficking, you, a little school district board of adults, made the decision to feature an event to hypersexualize young children. Do you want to know that the word that defines that? It's groomer. You all played the activist pimp for an aligned surgical center and for a 21 plus gay bar. It makes you groomers and activist pimps and we won't have those sitting on a school board who oversees the education of our children. We'll be back to talk about that. I call that epic takedown. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well Studios. More to say. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk, Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi, live from the Element Well Studios. That's a little BTO. You ain't seen nothing yet. And, of course, Rhino very appropriately bumped us out of the prior segment with a little Leonard Skinner. This is the day, right? 45 years? 45 years ago today. In Gillisburg, Mississippi. That's where the plane went down. Three members perished, as I believe. Or is it two and a, maybe a sister? Uh, let's see. I know there were six deaths in the crash total. I don't remember how many band members that was. Yeah, lead singer and founder Ronnie Van Zant, guitarist Steve Gaines, and his sister, backup singer Casey Gaines, were killed on impact. Hmm. Yeah, so it's three, three of the musicians and three others, right, total six. So, gosh, it's hard to believe it's been that long, 45 years. I think they had a little more gas in the tank. What do you think, for some more music? Oh, yeah, they were just getting started. Man, very talented. So sad. So what do you think about that video? That mother ain't playing. And we need more folks like her that are willing to confront this nonsense. And she, she certainly did. There's not no doubt about that. Uh, let's see, her name is Meyer. I'm looking for her first name. Rhino. Uh, she, uh, Brittany Meyer. Yeah. So, also you should know, and I'm looking at the flyer here, <laughs> October 29th, 11 to 2, the queerest free Halloween, Halloween party for your youth and families. An afternoon full of fun and more. Drag show. Family friendly. The qualification. Family friendly. There ain't nothing family-friendly about a drag show. I think she pretty well laid that out. You should know that one of the sponsors of this event happens to be a surgical group in the business of gender surgery. Gender transition affirmation, that's what they call it, to make it sound more noble. Gender affirmation, nah, that's not who you really are we got to mutilate your body to get it to where you should be. You think they make some money off that? Rhetorical question. Hell yeah, they do. Why else do you think they're spending money to sponsor? Now, you want to spend your money as an adult on this crap? Fine. Have at it. Foisting this? Grooming kids? A school sponsoring it? No. Draw the line there. And this lady, this lady speaks up. And near unanimous support, it has been reported from the parents. Except for the guy filming, apparently. Yeah, that's right. muttering, come on. Yeah, exactly. Because you could tell it's him because he's close to the mic there. His voice stands out. Unbelievable. Sponsored by Rich's Gay Bar and Aligned Surgical... Associates, a gender reassignment surgery center. I wish I could report that it's just here, right? That it's isolated. But it's not. It's permeating. Would you have thought you would have a drag show in a venue in Plano, Texas for families? And I don't know if you looked at that video. It's pretty disgusting. 
It's completely inappropriate for kids. What is up with this hypersexualization of young people? They got time for that. They'll figure it out. We all did. They don't have to be brainwashed, indoctrinated with all this deviancy. These freak shows. That, mm, it's, it's scary, in my opinion. Of course, it doesn't help, does it, that the president boasts, in fact, about appointing someone at a high level in government who's a transgender. Now, it would be different, honestly, if that person were the best candidate for that job. But that's not how he appointed his cabinet. That's not he, how, how this president made any high-level appointments. It was all about immutable physical characteristics. He doesn't care about qualifications. What's wrong with you, man? It's equity. One of these, one of those, one of them. And that's how we got. And, the, and so, despite all the warnings from the medical community, rational physicians about the dangers of puberty-blocking drugs, I mean, it, there's plenty of research on this. This guy who works for the government says, no, we got to do more. We got to support it. Meantime, Joe Biden is telling everybody, if you hadn't heard this, folks, that if just send him a Democrat House and Senate, and he basically is saying, give me two senators. And what he means by that is two senators to replace two or to, to counter two Democrats, that being Manchin and Cinema, who thus far have not agreed to sign off on ending the filibuster. But should that occur, where they had a majority vote to end the filibuster, he says his very first thing he's going to do is codify Roe v. Wade. That's, that's his top priority. While Americans are out there suffering the plight of his failed economic policies and the crime sweeping this country is just pervasive, certainly in every Democrat-run city. His top priority is killing babies? Is putting that into law such that the states would have no control? would not be able to decide on such a thorny, controversial issue. Nope, federal government is going to insert itself. What happened to the traditions of federalism, which is really at the heart of the case? What happened to that? We don't practice that anymore. Nope. If it's not centrally planned in Washington, you, you state governments, you people out there don't know. we got to tell you what's best for you. But I'm shocked. Maybe I shouldn't be. But that this president says, yeah, my top priority, I mean, he's literally campaigning for Democrat candidates on this basis. He's telling them, yeah, 
just make sure you, you get me a majority over there in the Senate and maintain the House, we're going to end the filibuster, we're going to codify. I mean, he, he's stating this when he's running around stumping for Democrat candidates. My understanding is he's going to Pennsylvania today, but he's not staging a rally with the Senate candidate, the crazy man, Fetterman. Rather, they're having like a private event, fundraising. Can you imagine those two doing a tag team at a rally? We'd have a whole show full of gaps. Unbelievable. But the Eagles are better than <laughs> Eagles. Oh, that's malarkey. Yeah, it'd just be back and forth nonsense. So it's, it's crazy, but he did he spoke at an event hosted by the Democrat National Committee at the Howard Theater in Washington last week. And he was standing, I'm looking at a picture of him, he's standing in front of a banner that reads, Restore Roe! He cast the election during his speech, essentially as a choice between Republicans who would seek to impose a nationwide ban on abortion and Democrats who have vowed to protect reproductive rights. And I think we're out of time in this segment, but when we come back, we got to share with you some sound from old Stacey Abrams over there. She got a cure for inflation, she does. We'll tee that up for you and uh, let you hear what old Stacey had to say. She got it all figured out over there in Georgia. She's behind. She's going to get beat by Governor Kemp. I think she's going down. And then, of course, what will she proclaim? The election was stolen from me, yet... The Democrats are running around and blasting so-called election deniers of 2020. She's the biggest one in the whole damn country. Before that, it was Hillary in 16, who to this day says the election was stolen from me. Russian interference. We're coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. everyone to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Thank you so much for joining us. So we should also point out we were talking about this drag queen show crap that seems to be spreading across the country. It's considered inclusive. Ah, Yet I still say, and, and, and this is being promoted by school districts, right? It's the one we just talked about around the San Diego area. Had one in Plano. We had the Episcopal School up in New York. 
I bet it's happening elsewhere. We just don't know about it, but it'll get exposed. Uh, anyhow, Joe Biden says that he's going to codify Roe v. Wade. Just give me a, two senators and maintain the House, control of the House by Democrats, and I'm going to codify Roe v. Wade. So, in the meantime, Americans, in poll after poll, are telling everybody that inflation, crime, the border, top issues, the Dobbs decision, Roe v. Wade, I think most people have come to the conclusion that, well, it looks like that's going to be handled at the state level. So it was complete lies when the Democrats said, total ban of abortion across the country. No, just send it back to the states. And so what we've seen is blue states have been rushing to pass legislation that frankly expands access to abortion. We've seen private companies paying for travel and the procedure if their employees live in states where it's not available. And even if they do, they're adding that to their benefit package. We're seeing that happen. Seeing some states are even carving out taxpayer funding to provide financial assistance to residents of other states where it's being restricted. So they're wrong about that. Joe Biden is making it. They're looking for something, is the point there, Rhino, because they don't got nothing to run on. But listen to Stacey Abrams, candidate for governor, again in the state of Georgia. Listen to how she couches the whole abortion issue. Can a governor, what could you do as governor to alleviate the concerns of Georgia voters about those livability, daily, hourly issues that they're confronted with? But let's be clear, having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. And so these are, it's important for us to have both and conversations. We don't have the luxury of reducing it or separating them out, but we also have to talk about what a governor can do. A governor can address housing prices. A governor can address the cost of education. Oh, a governor yeah. can put money into the pockets of everyday hardworking Georgians instead of giving tax cuts to the wealthy. Oh, that's yeah. what I talk about on the trail, and that's what's resonating. But let's not pretend that women, half the population, especially those of childbearing age, they understand that having a child is absolutely an economic issue. It is only politicians who see it as simply another cultural conversation. It is a real biological and economic imperative conversation that women need to have. There you go. Kill your child. Inflation cured. Hey, just kill yourself. Then you're free from inflation. That's the logic. That's the twisted logic. Coming from the left. Yeah, got to be able to kill your child so you don't have to deal with the cost of living. Yeah, it costs money to raise children. But there are ways to keep from getting pregnant. I was about to say, does she think the stork just shows up unannounced when you don't want it? Unbelievable. So... Takes two to tango. They know, again, try, trying to in some way address this issue of inflation, largely caused by their failed policies, they are literally trying to tie it to abortion, which of course they describe as reproductive health care. 
And don't you dare ask him about putting any limitations on it, because none of them will offer any advice on that. Nope. They don't want any limitations. I saw a candidate, I may have talked about this the other day, who was asked, is there a limit? Well, that's between them and their doctor. Really? So the child gets no voice. The baby in the womb gets no voice. That's where we are. It was even asked, what about up to the end of the third trimester? Yeah, between the, the mother, the pregnant mother, and the doctor. So there's Stacey Abrams saying, this is a matter of economics. This is, this is the way to address your economic play. What can you do as governor? Well, I can give people money. You hear say that? I can give people money to help them. That's what they think the role of government is, honestly. Just give people money. Doesn't matter if anything was earned or produced. That's how you end up with inflation. You drop money out of helicopters for nothing. We're taking a break. More Leonard Skinner bumping us out here. We got a break coming up, and then Rodney Hall, chair of the MSGOP Outreach Committee. Stay with us. And now, and now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Back everyone to midday's hour two of the program, Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Well Studios on this Friday Eve. Joining us now, Rodney Hall, chair of the Mississippi GOP Outreach Committee. Rodney, thanks for joining Middays. Gerald, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You bet. So you're newly appointed into this uh, position. I, I got a message from Chairman Frank Bordeaux to tell us about this. Is this a new committee? It is. Uh, you know, the Mississippi GOP, there's been a long-standing effort in regards to outreach, but really what this is is organizing and codifying it, bringing us all together and working and rolling in, in one direction. Okay, so when we, when we use the term outreach, Specifically, what are we talking about here, Roddy? My understanding is we're just really trying to, to expand the tent, the GOP tent, get more people involved and more people uh, interested in and working with and alongside the party. No, you're absolutely right, Gerard. Listen, there is, and I know you've had the ability to talk to countless Mississippians across this state. I have as well. And I think that we can all see that ultimately at the end of the day, I mean, we're one big community, mm-hmm. and there's a lot that we agree upon. There's a lot that combines us and that unites us as opposed to separates and divides us. So this outreach is really looking towards not necessarily expanding the tent, but really bringing in the folks that already have the same values, okay. have the same opinions, and bringing them onto the team so we can continue to address the issues of all Mississippians, despite creed or nationality. Yeah, you know, one thing that's developed... Uh, Rodney is is just this, I think this uh, rather pretentious assumption on the part of Democrats that if you're a minority, you've just naturally got to be 
uh, aligned with and supportive of the Democrat Party. But when I talk to people, uh, many minorities don't. They don't share their values. They don't share their worldview. But they are sometimes hesitant uh, to, to kind of pledge their support for Republicans for fear of uh, repercussions and retribution from the Democrats. What do you think about that? You know, that is so funny, and you're exactly correct. I mean, the Democrats have neglected minority and women voters right. for, for time and time again. They just automatically expect that they're just going to fall in and vote with their platform. But I can tell you, no one is for tripling taxes. No one's for increased gas prices. No one's for a destroyed economy, and everybody wants safety. And I can tell you, and I'm sure you already know this, most Mississippians feel the exact same way. Yeah. And so, you know, the Democratic Party has neglected black and brown voters, women voters across this nation, specifically in Mississippi, and we're not going to do that. We're going to open the door, have that line of communication, and say, hey, guys, there's a lot that we agree upon. There's a lot that we're aligned with. Let's sit down and have those conversations so we can work together for a better Mississippi. Absolutely. The the thing that's that's always... Uh, kind of disturbed me here, Rodney, is that the, the very people who were harmed the most by the policies from the Democrats, uh, they're the ones who are expected to not only support Democrats, but the Democrats maintain to them that they're their advocates, that they're their champions, but it's their policies hurt them the most. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we all saw Joe Biden say, uh, if you're not voting for me, you're not black. I mean, come on. Yeah. Is that really something that you want in your camp? Uh, listen, we all are for a safer community. We all want to make sure that our children are, are being well-trained and well-taught in their schools and that they ultimately have a better life than what we have sure. today. So we're all on the same page. Uh, and, and there does not need to be, uh, you know, this one mind of thought that, hey, you cannot come to us. Hey, listen, I wish you were there yesterday. Uh, the crowd was absolutely amazing. It was phenomenal. The amount of support, and that's across across the state. I mean, we had minorities there. We had women there. We had state elected officials there. I mean, there was just a outpour of support of people saying, yes, this is what we need. This is what we need to come together and show not only is there a need for the outreach, but really the outreach has already been happening. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you see these sort of uh, formations of such uh, organizations, such as the Outreach Committee, in other states in the country as well? Are you starting to see uh, a move towards that? Is this developing? Yeah. Now, the, the Republican Party, you know, both within the state and at the national level, they're really taking some leadership and some initiative to see that we're reaching voters where they are. Uh, there are states like Georgia and Texas that have been doing an outstanding job. Uh, we really look to, you know, take the lessons learned from them and then bolster that and continue on that efforts here in Mississippi. Yeah, so I assume then you guys are working together, kind of have a similar game plan, a template, a model uh, for this work? Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We've been in contact with the National Party. Uh, they have thrown support behind us. I think you'll see a little bit more impact in uh, their presence within the state as we continue to move forward. But we're definitely working together on this. That's excellent. So, uh, brand new deal. What? Tell us what your uh, your workload looks like. What you what your plan at this point? Well, you know, the first thing is, like I said, the, the crowd there, the support that's already out there. 
is is amazing. And truly, there are a ton of local heroes all across the state of Mississippi. So the first goal is to get all those heroes together. Let's put our let's sit down, uh, get our thoughts, uh, put our ideas together, and then go back out into the community and start having those conversations. Like you alluded to earlier, you know, it's been this whole idea that if you if you even think about voting for the Republican Party, or if you think that you support the Republican Party, like there's this backlash that's to be expected among uh, your community. But that's just not the case. And so the first thing we have to do is bring those communities together and say, hey, look, not only is this about to happen, this has been happening. It's been happening for years. We just don't see it because all that they project in the, in the media, specifically the national media, when it comes to Mississippi, is that there's just one monolithic group and there's just nothing but division and divisiveness. But that's just not the case. It just feels like to me, Rodney, that the Democrats are pretty good spouting the rhetoric that gets the vote of the minority voters and community. But once they're in office, it's like, well, I don't, I don't need you anymore. And we really don't get policies that uh, move the needle. No, you're absolutely right. All they talk is hate, hate, divisiveness. And then once they get what they need, they're on to the next. They, they don't even consider the values. And the, that constituency is something that they need to support. But we, we're not going to be that way. Yeah. Uh, this, is going to be a, this represents a longstanding commitment that will continue in perpetuity until all minorities within the state feel that their voice, that they have a voice, that they're being heard, and that their issues for them and their families are being addressed. Yeah, I think it's so important that the Republican Party makes that clear. Uh, the the Democrats have, I think, effectively painted the party as just inherently racist, which is not the case. In fact, I'd argue it's the opposite. It's the, it's the Democrats that are frankly racist because they just presume and expect that you're going to support them and vote for them. And if you don't, you're ostracized, you're demonized. Well, we don't do that, and we don't need to ever do that in the Republican Party. We, we want everybody that aligns with our values. We don't care about all these physical characteristics. Uh, yeah, listen, this is about governance. This is about values. This is about family and neighborhoods. This is not about hate, although the Democrats just love to go strictly to that direction. They love to try to divide us, but that... I mean, that's just perilous, and that's not what we need right now. Yeah. We have the opportunity to be a microcosm for the entire nation, to show them that we have not only the ability to, but we're really more, more harmonious than most of the country. I we really work together than most of the country. You know, I completely agree with you, Rodney. I've, I've made that analysis many times on the show, and, and, and it's rooted in this logic that here in Mississippi, we have uh, the closest balance of race, uh, the gap between uh, the races is lower than any other state in the country. We had to figure out how to get along. Otherwise, I'm not sure we'd even be a state today. No, absolutely correct. I mean, it, 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 but we're the one that's always pointed to as, as being the most racist. I see more racial harmony in this state than the other 49. It's, it's extremely easy for the Democrats to go and just kind of continue to poke at the past. And look, we're not here to run away from the past. We're not here to say that, you know, there won't be some challenges. But well, sure. we're showing open, openness and the commitment to sitting down and having those conversations and figuring out how we can work together. I mean, ultimately, it really boils down to values. No, no I mean, what do you want for yourself? What do you want for your community? What do you want for your children? 
Uh, and what do you want your state to look like? And if you want to have a piece in that, totally I mean, agree. we want to be where you are to, to have that discussion. Totally agree. Rodney, I think it's a great move here on the part of the party. I'm, I'm pleased to have you on the program. I look forward to talking to you and working with you some more. Take care, sir. Thank you. Hey, thank you much. Y'all be blessed. You got it. Middays is coming right back. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. 45 years ago today, Leonard Skinner airplane went down a convair, I believe, in Gillsburg, Mississippi. Three members of the iconic group passed away in that fiery crash. Man, no doubt they'd have made a lot more music. Just really good together. Okay, I'm watching on the tube here in the studio. President Joe Biden is walking down. The steps attached to Air Force One. He's meeting Senate candidate John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Get this, Rhino. Fetterman has a coat and tie on. Typically, he's hooded up, right? Does it still have the tags hanging from it? Well, I'm looking at it. Let me tell you. He needs a tailor because the sleeves are about down to his fingernails. What a goof. The uh, latest surveys, uh, there are several of them, all show it neck and neck within the margin of error. Fetterman leading about two points. Now, what's notable about that is in June it was eight points, eight, ten points. So it, it, uh, the gap's closed somewhat. I don't get it. I mean, I'm no huge Oz fan, but it, it just seems like pretty easy decision to me. And this is a guy who, of course, wants to empty the prisons out, including murderers. You've heard him say that. Yeah, we got to let them out. Uh, it, just all kinds of other crazy, radical views. So, you know, we've gotten to a point in this country where anytime you hear the word racism, what do you naturally think? We've been conditioned to think this white people being racist against black people and minorities, black and brown people, right? And the Democrats have really milked that for all they can. So we have some sound here for you. And this is black people, and this is them talking about white people. Here we go. Yeah, the, the question's what kills me is because they're all being asked the same question. And the question is, what are white people superior at? Yeah, thank you. Where are white people superior at? <laughs> exactly where people are superior at. They're real good at violence. Violence? Genocide. It's like stealing people's lives just because they feel like it. If you are white 
and you know this is happening, and you say nothing, then you're a killer too. What exactly are white people superior at? Insecurity? Pretending? Fear. Being fearful of nothing. Being there you go. There was actually more in that, but uh, Rhino caught that there were a couple of inappropriate words of profanity laced inside the video. But, and it's just random black people, and there you go. That, so, does that not sound racist? Well, they're good at violence. Genocide. Genocide, right. Yeah, that's what they're good at. So, and the only point there is that it's not like white people have the franchise on racism here. <laughs> but that's what the left wants you to believe. In fact, you've, you've heard the race lady over there at MSNBC. Oh, yeah, they've been themselves into pretzels trying to <laughs> wordsmith their way out of it. Well, it's about the dynamics of power and colonization. You have to deconstruct the notions of racism to fully understand that if you're a person of color, you can't possibly be racist because you haven't been in the position of power in which it's stupid. Uh, <laughs> if you're making blanket statements about somebody based on the melanin content of their skin... You're a racist and an idiot, and I don't want to associate with you. <laughs> well said. It's so true. But they want you to believe that. No, no, that's not racist. <laughs> you know, the other one that's, that's rapidly ascending the ladder of being the new race lady over there at MSNBC is Tiffany Cross. You see some of her crap? What's the name of her show? The Crossfire or something like that. I don't know, but... <laughs> <laughs> you got Morning Joy. That's Joy Reid. She's the first race lady. But now it's the Cross Connection. Cross Connection. I knew it was some play on her name there. I knew there wasn't any way they were bringing back the Crossfire name for anything. Well, on that's TV. true. Uh, that was the old. Was that Hannity and Combs? So who was that that used to do that? I don't even remember. That was long before I gave a flip about politics. <laughs> I just remembered it was people that disagreed, arguing over nonsense all the time. <laughs> Uh, it was pretty good, though. It, well, it was entertaining at a minimum. But anyhow, I'm thinking that, that old Tiffany Cross is she's starting to uh, take the stage, the center stage, as the new race lady. I have to get some, some video. I've been watching her a little bit. Taking one for the team. Well, oh, man. Democrats are experiencing a bit of amnesia as we approach the midterms, folks. <laughs> what I mean by that is that now some of them are saying, no, I really didn't say that I was for defunding the police. No, that's not what I said. But one of them is Beto O'Rourke. Remember him, Beto? So in an interview, Beto says, I really love that Black Lives Matter and other protesters have put this front and center to defund these line items that have over-militarized our police. He said, in certain cases, I completely support dismantling police forces, rebuilding them. Now you've seen, I think in Minneapolis, they're going to start sending out social workers to rather thorny situations. But yet, there's video, if you've seen this, floating around of a Minneapolis police officer and, and maybe one or two others that responds to a call of some disturbances going on. And he instructs this person 
that's uh, doing this, that uh, he's got to calm down anyhow, slashes him with a knife. Now, this looks like a nonviolent sort of encounter, interaction, but you just don't know. And now we're going to send out unarmed social workers into these same sorts of situations. I don't think that's going to go well. It's what happens when academia and theory bumps up to reality and the real world. Yeah, I agree. When you've lived your entire life in the bubble of academia where you're, you're not really getting pushed on whether or not your ideas are good or not, or could actually be put into practice, and then you try to take asinine ideas like, oh, social workers to violent crimes, and try to implement it in the real world, it's going to end badly. Well, you're so right, because in academia, you're not subject to acceptance by the market. No. And, and you know what that means? You've got to convince the person giving you the grade. It, that's it. And when you've got to deal with market realities and societal realities, you might go bankrupt and starve. But if you're protected by that bubble of academia, in that bubble, with tenure and so forth, you just spew whatever the hell you want, right? Get away with it, and you still got your cushy gig. It doesn't even have to be a radical ideology. I made a business plan for a hotel in business school that there is no way in Hades it would have survived or made any money. But because I checked every little box on the rubric, <laughs> I got a passing grade. Yeah, that's uh, that's right. So it's, it is uh, not aligned with and detached from practical reality. It just is. Well, O'Rourke, now that he's running for governor, says, well, I don't think I've ever advocated for defunding the police. What about old Fetterman? We were just talking about him. He said, we could reduce our prison population by a third and not make anyone less safe. And now, recently, he goes on radio in Pittsburgh, which is more right-leaning, more conservative, the western area of Pennsylvania. He says, that's just a lie. I never said that. And they play it. This is nothing I've believed, and it's nothing I've advocated for. That's just BS. Totally. You got Mandela Barnes. This guy's running for Senate up in Wisconsin, challenging Senator Ron Johnson. He's another one that wants to defund the police. And he, he started that idea back in 2012, showed his support for it. But now he's, he's distancing himself from that. He's saying, no, I, I, didn't, I don't want to do that. He's, he's, uh, he circulated a picture of himself with abolish ice t-shirts not so long ago. But now he's coming out and saying, well, that's not necessarily what I meant. <laughs> These guys are just, they're just bald-faced liars. But so they're, they're having a little amnesia. Raphael Warnock, he's another one over there in Georgia. And he's, he's saying that there are false charges being made against him by his opponent, Herschel Walker, trying to sully his church. His church, of course, is kicking people out for not paying their rent. Some property they have, unbelievable. Totally lying about that. Well, I hope it catches up with them. I hope it burns them. 
in the election. We're coming right back with more talk. We got Paul Hollis, Commissioner of the Mississippi Levy Board at 1205. Attention, fans! It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. <laughs> Mississippi. Lots of good Leonard Skinner music today, 45 years ago. That fateful day, plane went down, crashed, killing three members of the group, three others as well. Appreciate that, Rhino. So, on the ceasefire text line, Stephen Brookhaven says, white people are superior at being labeled racist for everything. That in response to the little clip we just played, I just... And I don't know if those people honestly believe that or if they've just been conditioned and told to believe it because it's politically expedient. I mean, that's plausible that that's what's going on here. Everybody just kind of fits into their slots, and you're expected to. That's intersectionality. Yeah. Paula Meridian says, apparently they're not good at keeping the water turned on. How are they not in the position of power when most Democrat-run cities have black administrations? They are the power. I, that point's been made numerous times, Paul. I agree. Certainly at the municipal level, if you look at where most people live in this country, from a population perspective, in a municipal perspective, those cities are run by Democrats. No doubt about it. He also says one day the GOP is going to have to wake up to the reality that marijuana legalization is a real thing and get on board with reasonable advancement. You know, that does seem to be an issue, and I think most people in this country do favor legalization. Polls have shown that. The state of Arkansas is set to vote on that here in, uh, in November as part of their midterms. They have, a, I think, a citizen ballot measure. On the, on the ballot, uh, five states, if I'm not mistaken, are voting for the legalization of marijuana from a recreational perspective. I think South Dakota is another one. But five states, best I can recall, would put us at 24 states in the country, just under 50% for recreational. I just know the big attention-grabbing headline in the last 24 hours as far as marijuana is concerned is... In the state of Florida, coming up soon, you'll be able to purchase marijuana at the gas station. Really? Oh, yeah. But I didn't think it was legal for recreational purposes in Florida, huh? So I wonder what that means. That's interesting. Wow. Uh, let's see. Uh, what are you saying? This is uh, Thomas and Greenwood. Speaking of gender reassignment, why is it taboo to discuss the suicide rate of transgender people? Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, again, you can only talk about it if it's used as a as a club to beat you over the head with. They need to transition so that they don't. Well, that's in fact, except for the fact that there's a high percentage of those that do transition that wind up committing suicide. Exactly. But what's crazy is that the FDA has issued a warning 
numerous warnings, but most recently, once again on July 1st, regarding puberty blockers alerting doctors to the risks of these GNRH drugs. Right? Uh, brain swelling is one of the conditions I recall. Brain swelling, blindness, deafness. Loss of vision, yeah. So, and, and other serious disorders. Despite that, however, this Rachel Levine, the Transgender Assistant Secretary for Health, she continues to tout the benefits of gender-affirming care, which includes use of puberty blockers on children. She says it's medically necessary because it keeps them from this dysphoria, this keeps them from committing suicide or experiencing some sort of mental disorders. So we've got, is that kind of crazy? We've got the Assistant Health Secretary at odds with the FDA? Sounds like it to me. But that's what happens when you appoint these radical ideologues into these positions. So, the price of gas is top of mind for voters, and I've said it, often thought, that the price of gas is maybe the top influencer on the way a person casts their ballot. price of gas is low. Certainly in a presidential election, generally the president in office benefits if it's an incumbent running for re-election, generally speaking. And if it's up, it hurts them. Well, we got midterms coming up, and I think a lot of people are considering that. But the spin on this issue is, as to where exactly Joe Biden stands is ridiculous. Listen first here to Corrine Jean-Pierre, the chief propagandist, talking about what a great job Joe Biden's done on curtailing the price at the pump. Every month, the typical two-driver family saves about $120 at the pump compared to where we were in mid-June. Everyday Americans, uh, Americans save about $420 million at the pump compared to uh, mid-June. Every month, the t- So, folks, pull your pants legs up because the BS is dripping on out there. So who believes this crap? She's comparing the highest level which was three months ago, four months ago, to today, without any acknowledgement or recognition of where it was when he took office. It's so duplicitous. And she's expecting us to believe that crap. Okay, and then she gets asked about, so the president's going around admonishing the oil companies because they're not pumping enough and working enough to get more supply out there to bring the cost down. So listen to this exchange oil companies to further lower gas prices, what makes you think that they are going to listen to an administration that is ultimately trying to put them out of business? How, how is the administration trying to put them out of business? Well, they produce fossil fuels, and this president says he wants to end fossil fuel. Yeah, okay. All right, so take a listen to Joe Biden during a debate. This was actually a Democrat debate back in it was the uh, presidential debate. It was him and Trump. Yeah, him. Oh, it was? Okay. I wasn't sure. If, there's another clip in there, I think, that's actually him and Bernie Sanders on the stage at the same time. But let, let's play it. One final would question. Would he close it's down false. the oil industry? It's false. Or would you close okay, down that's the different oil industry? Yes. I would transition that's him from and the Trump. oil industry. Yes. Oh, I would that's transition. a big statement. It is a big statement. That's a because big statement. I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes 
significantly. Oh, I see. Here's the deal. But That's a big statement. That. Well, if you let me finish the statement, because it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time, over time. And I'd stop giving to the oil industry, I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. You won't give federal subsidies to the to the gas, excuse me, to the to uh, solar and wind. Yeah. Why are we giving it to oil industry? We actually do give right. it to solar and wind. We and that's maybe the biggest question. statement in terms of business. That's the biggest statement. Okay. Because basically what he's saying question, is he is Mr. going President. to destroy the oil industry. Okay. Will you remember that, Texas? Will you okay. remember that, Pennsylvania? Check out the one I just sent you, Rhino. I think this is him during the uh, Democrat debate. This is him talking about what do, what is he going to do? Do you see anything? Yeah, it hasn't come through yet. Okay. Well, of course, it's Corinne Jean-Pierre that's saying that no, the president's never said anything about about ending uh, the fossil fuels industry, which is just an abject lie. It's totally false. He absolutely did. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Would there be period. any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in the Biden administration? No, we would, we, would, we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated. I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel. What about, say, stopping fracking and stopping yeah. pipeline infrastructure? Yeah. And, 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 There's no question I'm in favor of banning fracking. No more, no new fracking. We are going to get rid of fossil fuels. Have a transition from the oil industry, yes. So, is, is Corinne Jean-Pierre just not informed about her boss's history here? Sounds like it. Because she says, how's the administration trying to put them out of business? I pretty much heard him say that right there. No more! Ending it! But yet... Then he goes yesterday, because it's politically expedient to do so, he goes before the nation yesterday, and he scorns and scolds the oil and gas industry. Get out there and drill more! Produce more! Who the heck's going to make an investment in that, in their right mind? It takes a few years to get your money back on that. He just doesn't understand how it works. That's just... I think just further evidence that this guy's just out of his league. The whole administration is. Yeah, get out there and drill more. I'm going to shut you down. Oh, that makes plenty of sense. It's just unbelievable to me that such a person is in charge of this nation. But I think they're going to get burned on all this. I think people, I sure pray, I hope, that they're starting to figure it out. And if in some little bitty way here we're able to just expose the truth, and I hope what we just did made sense. You hear the White House uh, press secretary say, he doesn't want to end fossil fuels. And right behind that, we got Biden, in his own words, out of his own mouth saying, I guarantee you we're going to end it. Which is it? I think we know the answer. It's whatever gets them elected. That's all they care about. That's what greed is. Making a lot of profit because the market rewards you. That ain't greed. This is greed. We're coming right back. Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back. Midday Super Top Mississippi. I think that's my favorite Leonard Skinner song. I just like the melody. I like the lyrics. Just good. Really good. So, we got another clip here to play for you. And it's Corrine Jean-Pierre. You probably know by now that the president said he's going to release some more oil, a whopping 15 million barrels. We consume 20 million a day. And really, I think this is just, if I'm not mistaken, uh, kind of an additional sign-off on what really has already been sort of allocated as part of this release, is my understanding. So, um, so we're depleting the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, of that, there is no doubt, certainly compared to uh, where it was. And I have the data here. Just give me a second. Yeah, so we, uh, we had 593 million barrels, and we're down to 408 now, based on what we've depleted thus far. And we're not done. More's coming out. And this, of course, is for... Uh, reserve for security purposes, mainly for defense and the military. If you've studied World War II, to a great extent, many historians say that came down to who had the gas right at the end there. Oh, yeah. No gas, no tanks, no military armaments and assets. I mean, you can look at the beginning of American involvement and the end of American involvement, and oil and gas were big factors in both of those. Yes. Japan needed access to oil in the Pacific, and the U.S. was not willing to capitulate, so Japan attacked. And then towards the end of the war, Patton had gas. His opponents didn't. Right. It's absolutely true. So, anyhow, we're depleting it in the name of politics. Let's just be honest about it. They're using it as a political tool. That's greed. That's selfishness. You're putting your own political interest over the security of the country and arguably the world. Listen to what Jean-Pierre, Corinne Jean-Pierre, says about that when questioned. In 2020, when Congress was debating uh, funding for replenishing the SPR yeah. uh, at a low price, Democrats blocked it, saying that it was a bailout for big oil. But now, President so Biden said I, today that it would be a, a good Yeah, I know that. exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about when no, uh, Donald Trump was trying to sell it at $20 uh, per per, uh, per barrel to, to, yeah, to buy it. Look, it was a different time then. It was not the same situation that we are currently in. The reserve was close to full capacity at that time, and so there was no reason uh, to... Uh, to, to, you know, to make that type of uh, Oh, that these idiots could not have been in charge of my competition in my business career. We're talking steamroll. They're idiots. So instead of topping off at 20 a barrel, you've got Biden hoping it goes down to 70 a barrel? Correct. But you know what? What does that indicate, though? This is the piece that's being left out, Rhino. Think about this. They're going to go buy it at the market price. From the oil companies. But yet they're telling them to lower the price. Don't sell it at the market. Isn't that what they're saying? Isn't that what he's telling them to do? No, don't let the market dictate the price. Just give it away. But yet they're going to do it. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, so if you didn't catch it, folks, what 
the question was, in 2020, this was something being debated, and the Democrats said, you're just trying to bail out big oil. Just because the, Trump had the idea of buying this oil when the price was severely depressed, so as to stockpile it away, so we don't have to worry about that for a while? That sounds like a good business decision to me. That's what that is. Like I said, these folks couldn't run a lemonade stand. They would fail miserably. They just refuse to accept the concept of markets and how markets are the factor in the price of this commodity or anything, for that matter. They can't deal with it. They can't accept it. It's, it's sickening. And they're in charge. Oh, gosh. It really, really is crazy. We don't need Biden. He's going to use the Energizer bunny, says someone on the ceasefire text line. Oh, gosh. Someone asked me if I had to ride in a car from Mississippi to New York with one of these people, who would I choose? Stacey Abrams, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. I said Joe Biden because... He would fall asleep, says Jeff, on the ceasefire text line. He'd be a good passenger. He wouldn't buggy. He'd be asleep. Yeah, I get it. Sharon Brandon says she appreciates the Leonard Skinner music to give me. Uh, excuse me, today. Give me three steps is my fave. And Rhino responded there, Sharon. We're coming right back. We got Paul Hollis, commissioner of the Mississippi Levy Board. We're going to talk about the Mississippi River. Stay with us. And now, and now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi, rocking into Hour 3 of the program today on this Friday Eve. Joining us now, Paul Hollis, Commissioner of the Mississippi Levy Board. Paul, thanks for joining Middays. Thank you, Gerard. It's uh, wonderful to be here. I will tell you that I am only one of seven commissioners, so I'm not the commissioner, and I May not be quite as entertaining as Hank Burdine, but I'll do the best <laughs> I can. Well, it is my understanding that uh, you're from Rolling Fork, right? Sharkey County, is that correct? I am. I am. I'm from Rolling Fork. I've uh, lived here since 1979. Okay. Um, I'm not originally from here, but uh, uh, I love the Delta. I love where I live. Yeah. So... I expect on that basis, and you being on the levy board, a commissioner on the levy board, one of you said seven, right? That's correct. You got to know a lot about the river in those parts. Is what I'm thinking, and that's why we wanted to have, <laughs> why we wanted to have you on today. Well, go ahead. The the river is such a vital part of what everything we do down here. We're we're primarily agriculture. When you leave Leland and head south, we uh, there's no other industry down here but agriculture. And we're affected by that in so many ways, whether it's high water, low water, flood water. It, it affects us every, every year in some way. Yeah. 
Well, that's what we want to talk to you about. So I think most of our audience has seen uh, some of the images of, of the river. They're seeing the, the, um, the shores of the river, the edges of the river have contracted more towards the middle. They're seeing boats sitting up in sandbars and, and mud and so forth. We're seeing reports about concerns about the shipping lanes and, and being able to move uh, products, goods, up and down the river. It's a pretty critical waterway. Uh, for the transport of goods uh, up up and down uh, that part of the co- or this part of the country for sure, and then on beyond that, w- what's the truth about all this? How concerned should we be? Well, the truth is, is that not only agriculture products move up and down that river, but everything that affects everyone in this country every day. Uh, you know, fuel moves up and down that river coal that powers uh, these energy plants for your electricity. Uh, they're, they're a lot more than just agricultural products. And when you cross that Mississippi River in Vicksburg and you see a barge, you think, boy, that's pretty cool. But what you don't realize, there are hundreds of barges every day navigating up and down that river to supply things to to this entire country. Yeah. Uh, and it and it is a real problem. This morning, the gauge in uh, Greenville was 5.8. Now, understand that doesn't mean the river is 5.8 feet deep. That's a that's a figure that the Corps uses to measure the river. Gotcha. And that is almost a foot lower than the record that was set in 1964. Okay. So right now, Gerard, what, what's happening is these barges are having to navigate north during the day and then the ones coming south during the night because they basically the river's not wide enough to pass each other in a safe manner. I see. So it's and when, of, you, when you do that, you know... I was just going to say, it's kind I'm of sounding like a, a one-way street, so to speak. Well, it is, and when that when those barges have to sit up overnight so that they can move the next day, that costs, yeah. and that costs the end user, and that end user is you and I. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. So you said uh, that this is is this a record as far as the the height of the water, the elevation of the water? You said sixty four was the last time it was at this level, but we've exceeded that that level, right? Well, Sid. Yeah, since they've been keeping records, uh, 6.7 was a record low in Greenville in 1964. Okay. And that they've been keeping those levels, I guess, somewhere since the uh, 3040s. Okay. Well, is this uh, attributed, uh, Paul, to the obvious, which is just the, the lack of rain? Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a major lack of rain. And I think Hank alluded to this the other day when you were talking to him that most of the water in the Mississippi River comes through that Ohio Basin. Okay. The Mississippi, where it joins uh, the Ohio, is relatively small. And most of that water has to come from that basin. And until they get rains in that Ohio Basin, we won't see an increase in the river. And there really is no projection right now for a lot of rain, I think. Huh. Okay, so uh, the level of the river, uh, I think I understand this correctly, is, is more a function of the rain upstream, so to speak, in this basin, which empties into the river, maybe more so than it is in, in directly in the river around our area, the, the river portion that's adjacent oh, to yeah, the state. I, the, 
Oh yeah, we we don't. Uh, what what falls in our area really doesn't affect the level of the river. It has to come from north of us. Okay. That fills in the river and 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 raises the levels of that. So the rain that we get here doesn't really affect the Mississippi River until you get south of us. And if we have torrential rains through the Mississippi Delta and it or the Arkansas Louisiana Delta, that rain does deposit into the river and can create you know higher levels okay. past us. But what we're dependent on is water north of us. Gotcha. So what action, if any, Paul, does the levy board take in this situation? Well, the only thing we can do, we're, we work hand-in-hand with the Corps engineers and see, you know, whatever we can do. Really, with a low river, there's not a whole lot we can do. The yeah. Corps of Engineers owns two dredges, and they are working right now to try to free areas up in the river where uh, where these barges can pass. The right now... These barges are being loaded at about 70% of what their normal capacity is. And uh, so they're only drawing about nine feet of draft, okay. where normally they draw about 12.6 feet of draft. Okay. And that's. And so with that comes it, yeah. Expensive, right? I mean, it costs more. You got the same thing oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. for the most Yeah, it part. costs more. Yeah. Wow. You do. And uh, and all these elevators have to pay that freight on those barges. And when they're, when they're short-loading like that, it just means uh, per bushel that that cost is, is more expensive. And in the end, it's passed on to the consumer. Yeah. Are, are there any shippers of, of any commodities or products that, it, that have just a suspended shipping on the river because it's just not working out for them or it's too expensive or for any other factor involved? No, I don't think that that would be the case because, you know, that is such a uh, economical way to ship because they can ship in such mass uh, volume. But the problem right now is, you know, like Lake Ferguson in Greenville, is full of barges that can't be moved out. A lot of those were loaded to full capacity when they had water. Now okay. they're they're sitting on the bottom. Wow. Is yeah. there anything that could be done? Uh, is there dredging or any other action that could be taken by the Corps to free those up so they could float? Well, they oh, out of the out of Lake Ferguson, yeah. probably not because those were loaded a month and a half ago and. And they're just, they're, no, I, they can't dredge underneath the barge, I wouldn't think. Wow. Is, is any of that subject to spoilage if it just sits there for too long? Well, the elevators are real careful into what moisture they put grain into a, into a barge so that they don't have that happen. But, yeah, I'm sure there is a risk there the longer that it sits. Wow. Are are they working together in any way, Paul? I mean, is it, is it the alarm is sounded now, and they're all trying to coalesce to figure out what can be done, or they're just limited? Are you talking about the elevators, or all the folks that are using the river for shipping their goods, their commodities? Oh yeah, well, well, they're doing that, and and like I said before, what they've done is, you know, stopped it to that one way traffic to try to keep. Some some commerce moving up and down that river. Man, but you said the forecast doesn't really show any significant rain in the Ohio Basin, which is the primary source that pours into the river. 
Exactly. No, there isn't any uh, forecast right now. And I was reading a core report the other day that said, you know, we're probably experiencing this through first uh, of November sometime. Wow. That's amazing. Or longer. Yeah. yeah. It's what's so strange is, is back in August, that seemed like the wettest August around certainly central Mississippi that I could remember <laughs> quite some time now. And we just we went to the other extreme it, in a hurry. Well, we did, and we had a lot of effects on our crops because of all that rain in August. We had a lot of damaged beans and things like that, so it's just part of agriculture. I get it. We, I ran into Mike McCormick um, here in the hall when that was all going on, and, man, they were sweating it. Mike McCormick, of course, the CEO of uh, Mississippi Farm Bureau. So. Oh, yeah. Paul, appreciate you joining us and uh, giving us an update on that. Man, yeah. Let's pray for rain. Thank you, sir. Let's do. Thank you. Appreciate it. Paul Hollis, one of the commissioners with the Mississippi Levy Board. Stay with us. We're coming right back here on Middays. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, on to the real part. On Super Talk Mississippi. Mama called this morning, said, Son, won't you come back home? Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. We're once again in the Element Well Studios. We thank you so much for joining us. Really had a good time up there in Tupelo yesterday and brought Rhino back some famous blueberry donuts, right? Oh, yeah, from Connie's. <laughs> I already had two. <laughs> we enjoyed them uh, yesterday. So good. What a great event that is. And Great guest lineup we had. What'd you think about old Steve Holland when I asked him, you running again? <laughs> <laughs> Not no, but hell no. <laughs> He's uh, quite the character for sure. But that Sanctuary Hospice House, a fascinating story. What I didn't realize, first one in the country to get through the various federal red tape regulations. Very impressive. No doubt about it. And the uh, that area of Mississippi is fortunate to have the dedicated professionals in that uh, fabulous facility and that event I'm telling you that was huge in that furniture market and so many great vendors all busy setting up their really it's like a mobile store if you will so much merchandise and I know they had a big event last week I mean excuse me last night and then of course today Tomorrow, today, I believe it's 10 to 9 are the hours, and tomorrow, and then 10 to 5 on Saturday. So if you're in that area, folks, get out and browse around, make some purchases, and help them out. It's, uh, again, truly is a great event. 
and uh, for a very good cause. And they, they need that money to cover the expenses. They don't, um, it's a nonprofit organization. They don't uh, increase the price of the services above what essentially is uh, the cost in the co of the coverage and so forth. So we appreciate uh, their efforts and appreciate being part of that event. Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with former Mississippi Republican Chair Joe Nassif. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by VisitMississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. on most Supertalk Mississippi stations, supertalk.fm, and available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Quick check of your markets. So the 10 years up seven basis points today. It's, the yield on it is north of four, 4.21. That uh, is having a negative impact, pushing the indexes downward. The Dow down now 19 points. The high of the session was above 300. It was in the green 320 or so when trading began, and it is uh, busted through all that gain, and now in the red, in the negative, same for the NASDAQ. It, too, is down. The S&P is down. S&P is down 15 points, so extremely volatile. That will continue. Uh, the other big news, you probably have heard this by now, folks, Liz Truss, the Prime Minister of the U.K., resigned this morning. She, like, lasted less than a head of lettuce, right? I mean, 44 oh, yeah. days? Yeah, there was actually a, an account on social media that put up a head of lettuce on day one, and the question was, will she outlast the lettuce? And she didn't. She did not. So now... I haven't paid that much attention to the prime ministers of England, but it does seem like she has faced an outsized amount of... How long will she be in office since day one? Since day one. Absolutely. Since day one. So, of course, she came out with blazes, wanting to cut taxes and implement all sorts of conservative fiscal policy. The problem is she didn't do anything about spending. And that caused a big old problem for the U.K.'s monetary and financial systems Bank of England had to come essentially bail out the pension system. And then, sort of unexpectedly, last week, she just reversed it. And then today she basically says, I really can't, can't do what I was hired to do, which is govern conservatively here. Therefore, I'm resigning. You know, now, just got a notification, Boris Johnson on the radar again <laughs> to <laughs> replace her. Oh my gosh. Those zany Brits, they don't know what the heck's going on. I mean, who knows where this is going, right? But it has, uh, it has caused a bit of tumult in the markets, I would say, because UK is a, is a big economy. And there's some concerns over that. So we'll see where all that goes with respect uh, to the U.K. And that's been just fascinating to watch all that, in my opinion. Uh, meantime, there's some reports today about demand for mortgages. The 30-year fixed sitting now at 
6.92 on average. I mean, it depends, but this is the average of lots of the various lenders. I heard a report this morning from uh, an industry analyst that's predicting we're going to get above 8% by the first quarter next year. 8% 30-year mortgage. The 15-year, 6.23. Uh, that is up from 609 a week ago, a year ago, the 15-year, 2.33. 2.33. Now it's hovering around 7. The, uh, the other news, of course, is that there has been a precipitous decline in the sale of homes. This uh, really Homes fell in September for the eighth month of a row, uh, in a row, home sales. And this matches the pre-pandemic pace from, from 10 years ago as house hunters faced sharply higher mortgage rates. I remember that. Home prices were up. Anyhow, so the uh, existing home sales fell 1.5% last month. And it's just Bad news altogether. I mean, that is an industry, I think, that is headed for distressed times. And, of course, it's somewhat localized. You know, there's pockets of um, a rather healthy and brisk home sales where there's still folks moving into areas. Florida is an example. And so the valuations or values, home values, are remaining fairly stable. But overall, nationwide, it's, it's a problem. And, of course, this affects construction, and that affects so many industries that are affected by the housing industry, and that's because of these high mortgage rates. And honestly, based on the inflation data, I don't see the Fed letting up. And as long as the Fed doesn't let up, that hurts the equity markets, money then transitions over into bonds, that pushes yields up, and when yields go up, that pushes mortgage rates up. So that's kind of the ecosystem there. And that doesn't look real good. But we have a president who says, he, while he's eating ice cream, everything's fine. He's like the captain of the Titanic eating ice cream cones. Back off, the economy's strong. And Corinne Jean-Pierre tells us this president's working on it every single day. It's his highest priority. Yet, it's his highest priority, but he, but he tells people yesterday at this DNC event, I'm going to codify Roe v. Wade. That's the very first legislation I'm working on. Not open up the Keystone Pipeline or ANWR or relax the regulations on the fossil fuels industry or proclaim that Okay, we don't really want to put you out of business. Please, please, please go out and drill more and explore more and do what you do and bring the price down, which would, which would weave itself throughout the economy and bring costs down for all of us. Until we get that down, we've got some listeners uh, on the text line, Rhino, that I know um, purchased diesel. I think a couple are truck drivers for a living, and diesel's still elevated quite a bit. It hasn't really moved, and that's a, a function of demand and supply, and the supply is just not there. So we also had um, on the ceasefire text line, wanted to share this with you. We were talking earlier about the crime sweeping this country and how that's really impacted Democrat-run cities, and, and it all 
stems from this discussion of racism. We played this tape earlier where we had some minority folks say, you know, those white people are they're violent. They're into crime and all kinds of other racist labels and, and uh, uh, analysis of uh, white people. And we just made the point that, you know, where all the crime is the worst is in the Democrat-run cities. It's not like they don't have any power, because that's one of the assertions that was made. White people have all the power. Well, not in the biggest cities in this country. They don't. They're all run by Democrats, most of whom are minorities. I mean, the mayor, the city council, the chief of police, the law enforcement, management, etc. We're coming right back. We'll talk about this. Bring it on! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on! On Super Talk Mississippi. Studios, go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Also, the Twilight Concert Series is back, and on Saturday, Blues Traveler and Government Mule will be at the Renaissance at Colony Park in Ridgeland. You can get tickets now at Ticketmaster.com or at TwilightMS.com. Our good friend Richard Greenlee producing uh, that event. Should be good weather, it looks like, as well. So it really is a pretty cool place to have uh, those shows, those concerts. Does a good job of that. So a couple of people did uh, send us messages. Rhino Justin from McGee, Keith and Vaden. It is medical marijuana that will be sold in Florida. Uh, Justin says only 10 of the over 600 Circle K's. Yeah, it's a partnership with the Circle K gas company or okay. gas station conglomerate or whatever they are. Okay. You know, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, it's in the state of Florida. I'm not sure if a gas station in Mississippi would qualify to be a dispensary. I don't know. What do you think? I would that? imagine it would be possible only if you had a, an, a, a, a side part of the building that was technically separate from the convenience store, but all part of one building, like a separate entrance and exit. You think it might violate some law if it were under the same roof, so to speak, the products were available in the same area? I'd have to double check, but I'm fairly certain you wouldn't be allowed to sell the medical marijuana and, say, beer in the same business. I could be wrong. We might take a look at that. Might send some notes to some people in the know. Ken Newberger, for example. Uh, who's the CEO, I think, of the um, Medical Marijuana Association in Mississippi. So, anyhow, appreciate that, Justin and Keith, for letting us know. Mose, by the way, says he refuses to play a part in these transgender games. It, it, it's Who would have thought that this would become such a topic, such a, 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 um, a hot area, if you will, in that it's just invading our society at all levels. I'll tell you who to thunk it. Who? Everybody that was 
trying to point out the slippery slope about two decades ago. Okay. And they were all told, oh, no, the slippery slope, that's a fallacy, that you're not actually making an argument, blah, blah. Well, look at it. Yeah. It's uh, all gone downhill. It, it, I agree. Does it not seem like, though, to some extent, it's just consistent with the MO, with the approach of dividing us into these groups, this, this Marxist playbook, this Marxist strategy of... You're in this group, you're in that group, and, 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 and it used to be, in classic Marxism, it was pretty much uh, based on economic status, right? But now we've, we've taken it much further than that, uh, and, and we've inserted this, well, first, racism, which is really what critical race theory is all about. It is grounded in classical economic Marxism, except it's based on race. Now it's gender. Now we're going crazy over gender. It's sick. It's deviant because of the way that children are being brainwashed. And I can't say that enough. Adults, consenting adults, free adults, I'm all about that. You know, the other thing is, remember us talking uh, not too long into the Biden administration after he was inaugurated. Remember us talking about looking at the executive orders and he just it was a flurry of them day one, right? Thirty two as I recall. And all this language uh, about making climate change and and race and diversity, equity and inclusion center point feet central features of policy making. Even now in the Federal Reserve, we hear Janet Yellen talking about it. Janet Yellen's actually even talked about reproductive health care, a.k.a. abortion. And so you got Janet Yellen, who runs the Treasury, Secretary of the Treasury. you got Jay Powell over there at the Federal Reserve, and they got a whole DEI program as well. And I start to wonder, because we've made this point, same as the case with the schools. You got so many cycles. And rather than tending to your core business, in the case of in the case of the Federal Reserve, that's to maintain price stability. That's a fancy way of saying don't let inflation get out of control. And the other mandate from the Congress for the Federal Reserve is to maximize sustainable employment. That literally is how the language it is used. Well, that just means keep it reasonable, keep it at, at the best level possible that is sustainable, meaning it doesn't cause crazy high inflation, it uh, pr provides sufficient supply for society, etc. It's talking about employment. Well, when they're all wrapped up and consumed with DEI, I really do wonder how much did that contribute to this crazy inflation that we're experiencing. You're so worried about this DEI crap, you're not taking care of your core business. Same thing in the schools. Why don't we, instead of having a drag queen event that's family-friendly, hey, let's have a math fair. What's wrong with that? Do they do that anymore? Science fairs and stuff like that? It just seems like that's kind of gotten de-emphasized and is given way to all this social garbage. Radical leftist social activism, let's be honest. 
you just got so much time. You just do. And if you're wrapped up in that, and I know we've discussed it, I said, you corrected me, I said, meanwhile, our most ardent foes across the pond over there in Asia, they're teaching their youngins, I said quantum physics. <laughs> Is it qu quantitative, right? Right. Yeah. And you corrected me. Well, I said, how, you said, probably not quite to that level. I said, what about calculus? You signed on to that one, though. Yeah. But the, it's true, though. It really is true. They keep pushing the envelope on. Kids are smart. They're really smart. And they're very impressionable. They're sponges. And that's the danger, and that's the risk here. When you're filling their minds and their heads up with all this garbage social activist crap, we're not preparing for the future needs of the world. And you know what man's constant, infinite, perennial problem is? Balancing supply and demand. It just is. Since the beginning of time. That's the fundamental problem of humanity. Balance supply and demand. Otherwise, you can't live. And you can't do that when you're worried about and you're all wrapped up and having drag queen shows. You're not working on that problem. That's, that's just where we've gotten in this country. It really is crazy. So on the ceasefire text line, i got to get back to this. We had a, someone listening to the show that sent us, I thought it was a Wikipedia page, but it looks like it's World Population Review. I've actually done some research on that site as well. And it's talking about the murder rate. We just happen to be discussing the fact that the largest cities in this, in fact, a good number of cities in this country, are controlled by Democrats. And this was in the wake of the little video we played where some black folks were calling all white people racist and said they're violent and they're taking over and don't let anybody else... Uh, have any power, et cetera, et cetera, and we just rightfully pointed out, well, they run, I don't know, New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles and Chicago, just go down the list, Atlanta. And But yet, this person says, well, you need to go Google crime, murder rate, and everything else because it's in the higher Republican states and Honestly, it wasn't a very well-formed sentence, by the way. And I don't mean to be critical of someone's grammar there, but I had a hard time kind of figuring out what it was trying to say there. But, so, okay, that's fine. So we sent a page out of this world population review that shows, and he underlined it, Mississippi has the third highest murder rate in the United States. Mississippi's murder rate is 12.7 murders per 100,000 residents, et cetera, et cetera. And the other entry shows Alabama. It's also got a high one as well. All that's true. But it's a result of the Democrat-run cities and the violence and the murders that occur in the Democrat-run cities. And murder is a crime that is investigated by, handled by, municipal law enforcement. Right? He's also using data from 2018 when the numbers are much worse now. Because okay. according to the data he sent us, it's... Uh, 12.7 murders per 100,000 residents in Mississippi, and Jackson had the most, with 78. Well, Jackson passed 78 in, like, April of this year. Unbelievable. So I just said, well, yes, yeah, due to the Democrat-run city of Jackson. That skews the data in, in Mississippi and Birmingham. Selma's another one. Mobile, all Democrat-run. That skews the data 
in uh, in the state of Alabama. So thanks for proving our point. He said, well, the capital city belongs to the governor, the capital city of the governor. I'm not exactly sure what Tell that Tell us means. you didn't pay attention in civics without telling us you didn't pay attention in civics. <laughs> We're coming right back. Final segment. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi. The iconic guitar riff in Freebird by Leonard Skinner. This is the 45th anniversary of the plane crash that killed three members, 1977, in Gillsburg, Mississippi. We shall never forget. I appreciate Rhino being all over that for us today. So, uh, James in Hattiesburg says, just Democrats spin from our listener who said the capital city belongs to the governor. Well, let the mayor resign and give them the tax money and let him fix the water plant. Jeez, these people have an excuse for everything. Yeah, I'm not really sure, you know, what the point of all that is, honestly. (sighs) The The fact of the matter is, Democrats, let's just be honest, this is what we've seen, especially in the wake of the George Floyd incident, and while I think that the officer there was in the wrong and committed a crime and was convicted, sentenced, okay, Chauvin, as I recall, was his name, let's be honest, George Floyd was not a saint, No, but he's being canonized as one by the left and held up as one, right? Convenient for To the point where if you even question the narrative, like Kanye West has done recently, you're vilified, even though Kanye West is the guy that paid for George Floyd's daughter's college. Right. Exactly. Just tell the truth. Tell you the other one that does that I just love to follow, Jason Whitlock. Says it too. He says, George Floyd, no saint, guys. Don't hold him up as one. What happened was wrong. That didn't make George Floyd a saint. But what I was going to say is, is there any question? Let's just let's boil this crime down to the policy positions of the left versus the right. Is there any question that the left is working overtime to decriminalize crime and demonize victims of crime? with this cash bail crap and these woke DAs that George Soros cleverly funded, and this Mandela Barnes guy who's running for the United States Senate, who has said, yeah, we got to dismantle and defund the police departments, and this goofy John Fetterman, who doesn't have a brain cell in his head, and I'm not making light of the fact that he had a stroke, I'm speaking about his policy positions. I don't care if he's got his full faculties. He's been constant on that. He wants to just empty the prisons. 
And it's all in an attempt to appease a voting bloc who thinks that there's this institutional racism in our criminal justice system. By the way, that's the heart, as you know, Rhino, of critical race theory. It starts with the justice system. It's just systemic. It's unfair. It's, it's grounded in racism. For, they don't want you to pay attention. They want you to forget, well, was there really a crime committed? Maybe that's why. They're suffering the consequences of that crime in yeah, our court system. They just their way around the actual statistics of violent crime in America. And that's all they care about, is changing those statistics. Well, you know, if we just let more people out or we don't com- uh, convict more people, that'll improve the statistics, even though they committed the crimes. Why don't we address the root cause of why are they committing an outsized proportion of the crimes? Because that's just the truth. If you look at the percentage of the population that they make up relative to the percentage of the crimes they commit, that's just the truth. That's just the math. It's not a racist statement. It's math. But math's racist. Oh, that's right. Math's racist, right. It's no different than, okay, you've seen so many, we've reported on so many schools, even at the highest levels in our education system. You just got to give more points because they're a minority. There's lots of reasons why they couldn't score, and so you just got to, so it's this march to mediocrity. That's not helping. Being cheered on by the willfully ignorant. And I would argue that the vast majority of minorities don't want that crap. You see, forced diversity, this is the argument I have, this is the issue I have with this, this whole diversity, equity, and inclusion movement that every major company in this country, and nonprofit virtually, has some project going on, has some entity, some department within their their organization, is because they're trying to force it. And forcing it is really not changing hearts and minds where racism exists. In fact, I would argue it makes them harbor even more. Because you're forcing and people don't react positively to force. When are they going to get that simple inherent aspect of human nature. It's been around since humans have inhabited the planet. We're out of time here today, folks. We appreciate you so much for joining us. We're going to be right back here in the Element Well Studios again tomorrow. Until then, stay safe, everyone, and God bless. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.